Hey, listeners, welcome to SphereCast, a podcast all about technology, technology advice, technology inspiration, and how real entrepreneurs have used technology to build their businesses from the ground up. If you're wondering how technology can support your business goals, rest assured, our guests have been there and done that. What is resilience? Is resilience grit? Is it endurance, survivability, willpower, maybe all of the above? And what produces resilience? Though the word may be difficult to define, I think we can pinpoint what produces it. Difficulty, hardship, lack of control, chaos, crisis. Yes, resilience is the fruit of crisis. And some of the most successful businesses in the world have weathered these times of chaos and have become better for it. Hey, it's Luke joining you for another week of SphereCast, and this week Senya and Steven speak with Brandon McKay, owner, president, and CEO of Snugs. Snugs is a Utah-based company that boasts the domestic manufacture of promotional products. Founded in 1989, McKay's company has spent over three decades creating custom gear for businesses, events, and various other promotions. Snugs creates most of their customizable products in-house, from hand sanitizer to PPE kits, to sunscreen, to lip balm, to lanyards. Brandon joined Snugs five years ago after its inception and has shepherded the company through its highs and lows. During its 31-year history, Snugs has lived through the dot-com bubble, Y2K, the 2008 housing crisis, COVID-19, and other difficult events. And, as you would imagine, McKay has picked up quite a bit of perspective living through such turbulent times. On the podcast, McKay shares the perspective and explains how to survive and thrive during these events that are out of our control. So without further ado, here's a conversation with Brandon McKay. Hi, everyone. This is Senya with SphereCast, and today our guest is Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Hey, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I'd like to start with your current venture. Can you tell us what is Snugsy and why did you join this company? So Snugs is a domestic manufacturer of promotional products. So many people wonder, what is a promotional product? So if you go to a sports event or even go to your own company there and uh, you see branded merchandise with your company logo on it, that's, a, that's what a promotional product is. Um, I started here uh, early, I would say, in my career and... Um, uh, Snugs is a second generation company. And um, obviously, when I started, we were very, very small, and things have definitely changed a lot since then. So, this is Steven interjecting, hopping in. Yep. Um, Brandon, what, what year did you actually start or, or found Snugs? So, Snugs was founded in 1989, um, and I started at Snugs in 1994. So, there's a five year gap there that I wasn't really involved in the business per se on a day in and day out basis. But um, since it was a, a family business, you know, I was able to see it optically kind of uh, at that level and then uh, started at the business in 1994 as uh, really as just a, a day job as I was preparing my ultimate life goal is I wanted to be a, a fireman paramedic. And I started here in the summer and I uh, was going to go to fire academy in the fall and never got out of here. What business challenges were you faced with when you started at Snugs? Oh, I think like most startup businesses, even when they're just a few years old, there's more work than there's people. And the reason is, is there's just not enough revenue to, to hire the staff that you need. And I think most of our challenges at that time were, were just that, is that 
we had a lot of jobs that needed to be accomplished, whether it was accounting or lunch or cleaning the building or helping fulfill an order. And uh, there's just not the, the headcount there yet to, to be able to be effective every single day. I also noticed that you partnered with the Thermos brand logo. Could you tell our listeners more about that process? Yeah, so I guess one of the bright spots of 2020, the, the year of COVID, so to speak, is that early in the year we were approached by Thermos, which is a massive retail brand of drinkware. Uh, they came to us and uh, asked us if we would be interested in a, in a partnership with them for a promotional products. So we would take their Thermos brand product and uh, we would put a company logo on it. It could be a Fortune 500 or it could be a sports team. It could be a college and they were looking for a partner that could decorate for them and uh, help them enter that space. Um, lots of other drinkware suppliers have entered that space, and uh, they wanted a chance to enter it too. So they came to us early in 2020. Uh, we liked the opportunity. Um, they have a tremendous amount of sourcing ability, and they have a lot of inventory, as you can imagine. And uh, we def- worked hard in picking SKUs that worked for us and worked for them. And then COVID hit and it kind of slowed the trajectory down a little bit. But by the end of uh, 2020, we have fully onboarded and partnered with Thermos. And, and uh, we sold more in the, the remaining three months of 2020 than the, they had ever sold in the previous year. So they were excited about the, the newfound partnership. And uh, we definitely believe it's going to be a, here to stay for us. And uh, we look forward to expanding our SKU selection with them and uh, to continuing the partnership with them. They have been absolutely phenomenal. A really, really good pe- group of people there at Thermos. And uh, they definitely understand the, the market here in the U.S. And uh, they're just remarkably supportive of us. Brandon, question on the Thermos brand and you know, being in the promo space. I know you do a lot of your own manufacturing. Are you able to give us any, any sort of insight into percentages when it comes to selling, for example, the Thermos brand from an external vendor versus manufacturing your own products? And how how does that selection process look like? So the selection process with Thermos was them being a a retail partner and having lots of data and analytics. They really understand what sells. They understand what size, shape, price point sells. And so that data for us was extremely valuable. What we offered back to them is is saying, all right, these are the products that you say sell, but we can't really decorate them. There's no way for us to put an image or a logo on those. So we kind of worked back and forth on on that aspect of saying, we understand what sells and now let's try to figure out what we can decorate. And uh, we came down to a selection of products that were win-win for both of us. Um, This was an abnormal relationship for Snug since uh, we're primarily a manufacturer, meaning that we make all of our own lip balm here. So we source all the raw ingredients for that. We compound it and blend it and fill it in house, or we make all of our own candles in house, for instance. So for us to get a finished product was a little bit different for us where we just had to put a a logo on it or decorate it. And um, we're excited about that opportunity. Um, It's helped us expand into some other drinkware lines that are not specific to Thermos brand itself. And um, they've just been, like I said, a great partner and helped us be able to navigate into a new space that uh, we currently were not into at all. That's fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead and shift gears here a little bit. And knowing that you've been in business since the 90s, which is impressive, um, you know, you've obviously seen and survived through some major turbulent times. 
Can you walk us through some of the changes that you saw take place during things like the the dot-com bubble, the the housing crisis, and most recently COVID? And, you know, what, what did you see change and just a little bit of your backstory and, and what that looked like? Yeah. So early years, I think, when uh, you're in a business that's an upstart or you're working in a business that has just a few years under its belt, everything seems like a crisis. And I remember that, you know, kind of the dot-com crisis being like the first major national crisis outside of our day-to-day business crisis. And then right, seems like shortly behind that was uh, Y2K and everybody's computer was going to seize up because it couldn't roll to the new century. And I remember vividly some of those issues, but the things that I really remember in business was the housing crisis in, you know, 07, 08. Um, I remember it in business and I remember it personally, uh, you know, friends and families that were suffering. And I remember listening to, to local and national news at that time and really, you know, crossing our fingers and hoping and praying that we had the right leadership in place that could help navigate us out of that and, to sit around and, and listen to, to broadcasts or listen to news clips on the, on the internet was kind of, was, was really humbling at that time because the, the housing crisis really um, hurt a lot of businesses, but I think it kind of gave us our first taste of resilience as a business and as a country. And there's been other things that have happened, but navigating a leadership of a business at that time was, um, was very interesting to me. And then obviously through the COVID cycle. That one was, you know, it was a a huge hiccup in the road. It was, but I think we kind of understood uh, how to get our arms around what our spend was. It really helped. We were really quick to evaluate what our fixed costs were, where it's, and and where we could trim and how we could stabilize the business to make sure that it was going to be around here in 2021. And those lessons were, were learned at all of those stepping stones along the way. But probably the biggest issue of COVID was, is getting over the initial fear of that, you know, we're all going to, to be extinct to yeah. saying, all right, this is just a, this is a major issue, but we definitely have smart people in place to help navigate. And you, you definitely have perspective of, of challenge going through those, you know, looking at, let's just say the, the housing crisis versus COVID um, for people that maybe haven't gone through multiple crises with their business, um, you know, what, what advice would you give people as they're going through those turbulent times to, to, you know, stick it out? Yeah. So, so I think like most, and I can't say for most, but I would say most of the, the business owners that I rub elbows with or share information with seem to be use, you know, like use the perspective like you had spoke about and, and try to remember that there are some skills and there are some things that we've gone through in the past that, that we can pull forward to today. And how did we navigate that? I think for us, we just said, all right, this is, this is a very, you know, this is a big issue. Businesses are being shut down or businesses are being told to, to stay at home. But uh, we lived in a business where it was kind of uh, a little unique where we sold uh, a product that was in demand. So, for us, it was it was less about overall uh, life of the business. Is the business going to be around in 2021? It was uh, some of the things that shifted from previous cycles before where we were really trying to encourage and, and create a safe environment for our employees to come to work as they were uncertain about going to work. And uh, 
potentially bringing something home for the, to their family. And so trying to create a safe, comfortable working environment was where we spent a lot of our time. I appreciate sharing that. And uh, I know we, we spoke a little bit, Brandon, before we started this podcast in regards to how you've shifted your, your product focus. I know most recently, the logistics of finding uh, mass amounts of, of rubbing alcohol and, and what that looked like. Can you tell me a little bit more about that just so the, the viewers can hear about that story? Yeah. So uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, we were in a great position. We were in a position where we had a product that was sought after. So we manufacture sanitizer on site. Um, so we'll take the the different raw ingredients, the the alcohol or the carbomer, and you know, obviously, and, and blend those items together and, and create a finished good. But uh, we were we were in the manufacturing of a sanitizer business that was not our top selling product. But you know, overnight, it went from kind of a, a mid-tier product to the number one product. And so supply chain was something that we saw immediately that was going to be an issue. And uh, we went out and we hedged on some things where we got a lot of bottles and caps and closures and pumps and, and stuff lined up to, to be the packaging for sanitizer. But the logistics of getting raw ingredients for sanitizer became incredibly difficult, super fast. So we were buying alcohol, for instance, by the drums, and uh, we were going from that graduating uh, over to buying full tankerfuls of, of alcohol. And supply chain was was really disruptive there. And finding good supply chain took just tremendous effort from some really amazing people here. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I can only imagine uh, the type of paperwork involved in trying to find drums or, or even tankers full of alcohol and uh, you know, what type of signature is required on that. Um, so very, very interesting. Brandon, you briefly talked about technology. As we can imagine, it was very different back in the nineties versus today. What was the largest change you experienced during this time? When I first started here, uh, people used to mail in their orders and if they didn't mail them, they would send them in a FedEx or a UPS envelope. And with that, they would include a, you know, a, a PMT or a photo positive of their logo. And you would take that and you would scan it in. And then after you scan it in, you would manipulate it and size it and, and get it ready for decoration compared to where we are right now, where everything is EDI, where our customers, they transmit orders to us. The, the content of those orders go right into our system and populate fields their logos are all digitized right now. So we can take a, a vector of their logo and uh, we can size it internally here. And this is happening real time all the time now versus we got drop-offs from our mail or we got FedEx drop-offs or UPS drop-offs, you know, once or twice a day when I first started. So the evolution of how we receive data and how we get data into our system has just been mind-bending over the, the course of my career here. Um, I can totally remember the, you know, the very first few days I was here of, of opening up all the mail and, and trying to piece together orders. And now it's just all seamless. We have EDI interchanges with a lot of our top customers right now. And, and the processing of data is just overwhelmingly faster. And we went from a, you know, a 10 to 15 day turnaround time to we have 24 hour turnaround times. What type of processes or technology have you implemented recently or where do you see it going in the future in regards to 
digesting all of that data from your customers? So I think the big things for us inside the promo industry is um, that shifted over the last year is doing single piece fulfillment, meaning that we used to be able to ship um, large volume or large quantity orders to the company and they would disperse it to employees. Now we're trying to disperse that to employees at their home right now. So that was a monumental shift overnight where he went from one shipper location to hundreds of shipper locations and then uh, variable data. So customers want each individual employee's name on products and to try to process that through a system has been something that's been pretty evolutionary over the just the last few years of saying, hey, how do we take a, a list of names and how do we switch that name onto every single different piece of product that we do? Yeah, that's impressive. Now, did you have to invest in, in you know physical infrastructure or hardware to be able to accomplish that? Or what did yeah. that service look like? So, yeah, there's been a lot of investment in uh, kind of that in-between software. So you have software that is good at manipulating and sizing artwork like uh, an Adobe product. And then you have the, the machine itself, but it's kind of that in between that rip software that kind of crunches the data. We've spent a lot of time and money in, in kind of that in between engine of saying, hey, take the product from Adobe, translate it into a language and into a system and a protocol that the machine can interpret. Okay. So a lot of it's priority, you know, it's unique to us. And how did you even go about learning this information? I mean, was it trial and error? Um, was it from a, a potentially a mentor? I mean, what, what did that look like? So a lot of it at this point is trial and error. So as you can imagine, again, you know, the, there's not a lot of equipment manufacturers that are out there in the world that, that help us and do what we do. So we spend a lot of money on engineering and we spend a lot of money on automation and, and infrastructure on that kind of on the equipment side. But equally, too, you know, we spend a lot of money on on finding good programmers and people with good theory to help us be able to bridge that gap of taking off the shelf merchant or software and and manipulating it or using a third party to help get it to the output that we need. So that segues into a little bit more of the, the professional personal line. So if you were to go back, let's say, 10 years, you know, what advice would you actually provide yourself that you didn't know back then? Man, advice I'd give myself 10 years ago would be just to, is probably just like anyone, you just constantly breathe. If you knew how close you were to the finish line, you would, you would always try just a little bit harder. And I think sometimes we, we don't realize how close we are to, to our end game or to our goal. And we just need to pace ourselves a little bit better. So I would say probably a little bit better with patience and a little bit better with pace um, cause you're always so close to, to whatever your end game is. I completely understand that, you know, almost to the finish line, but you can't see it, but had you had that foresight, you know, you were almost there. So great advice. Um, talking about the attributes or let's actually take a step back, looking at your, your typical day, um, being that you are so successful, Brandon, can you walk us through what your typical day looks like? Yeah. So I try to exercise. I don't love to exercise. I think there was a period of time in my life where I liked to exercise and now I'm enduring exercise. But I know mentally for me, if I don't get up and I don't start with that routine every day, 
And, and when I say every day, I, I guess every working day or five days a week, then it doesn't get me off on the right tone. Um, it doesn't burn off that initial kind of that nervous energy of the morning. And it doesn't give you that initial endorphin kind of kickoff. So for me, I always have to work out. Um, I have the luxury of, uh, or I guess we've had the luxury of having our kids in school uh, during this COVID year. And uh, so I'm able to get a workout in. Uh, I have one boy that uh, needs to, to be taken to school. So I have that opportunity to take him to school. And then, you know, I'm still able to get into the office pretty early. Uh, I like to have that first kind of hour in the office to kind of digest, you know, whatever content I want to work on, read up on whatever I'm interested of of the day. And then I usually start doing appointments about 930 in the morning. And then it's pretty much back to back to back to back uh, of appointments or Zoom meetings or trainings between that time and then the time I leave. Most people probably would probably admit this, but, you know, I go home and have dinner and hang out with the family, but then it seems like the unwinding part of the evening, early evening, you know, the eight, nine o'clock in the hours for me is kind of when I get those hard emails off or the things that I had to think about during the day. And, and then I can kind of get my email inbox cleaned up between that time. And, and when I go to bed and rinse and repeat, right? Yeah. I love it. Now I know a lot of, you know, myself as a, an ex entrepreneur, uh, got out of that field. What advice would you give for people to disconnect? I mean, it sounds like you've, you've got a healthy family life. You're able to go home and disconnect until you write those hard emails late at night. But you know, what, what's your advice to people that want to have, let's say healthy work-life balance, disconnect, um, to be able to get those tough emails out and things of that nature. Yeah. I think you just have to find those sacred times for yourself and whether that's your lunch hour or if that's dinner with your family or if that's dinner with your friends and just try to respect just those few moments of time during the day and, and isolate that out for balance. Um, if you're into exercise, use that time in the morning to, to just kind of get going and get awake and, and get ready for the day. I don't think any true entrepreneur, at least those that I've rubbed elbows with or hang out with are like, really good about just shutting their phone off. Mm-hmm. But I think they're really good about compartmentalizing times of their day where, where they're able just to set it down and be okay with setting it down, but no, they're going to pick it back up and they're going to pound out the, the things that they get done before the, before it's too late. I don't know. I think that's something that's going to be an evolution for me too. Um, uh, as I, get more perspective, which people could say, Hey, you're just getting older. But as you get more perspective, you understand and you start to learn the things that are like nine one one that are like emergency and things that are just noisy. And that makes sense. So categorizing, you know, what, what needs to be responded to right now versus, Hey, you know, this isn't as big of a deal as you think it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Do you have any examples of, you know, things of, let's say 10 years ago, you would have thought, Oh my gosh, this is a crisis, but Today, you look at it and it's like, ah, you know, this is bad, but not that bad. And I know with COVID, a lot of people have uh, been a bit jaded. Um, But yeah, any experiences you could share? I would definitely say things that used to just probably get my engines revving. Um, Ten years ago would be employee issues. Uh, Let's say that we had an employee that was looking to make a career move or looking to make an adjustment or was dissatisfied with potential position or pay or commission. And 
I've learned to kind of just let that simmer a little bit where before I'd be like, let's, you know, let's get after it right now. Let's see what their doubts and concerns are. Let's solve that right now. And, and today I'm like, oh, let's kind of let, let's let that ferment a little bit and, and let's come up with the right solution versus a rushed, rushed solution. Maybe outside of an employee issue would be supply chain before if, if something was going to be coming in late or something got delayed, I would try to solve it right at that very moment regardless of time of day. And now I'm a little more comfortable of letting nature take its course. Let's get feedback. Let's get some responses and then let's make a decision and definitely less rushing. That makes sense. Now on the account management side, you mentioned late fulfillment was something that once upon a time would, would really stress you out. And I'm I'm assuming it still does to a certain extent. Um, What type of tactics or strategy do you utilize when you find out, Hey, you know, we're not going to get this order in time. This big client's not going to receive their shipment. Um, what advice would you give for people in that situation from a, a sales or account management perspective? I think again, with perspective and age and, and time served, I think transparency is always the best policy. And for us, if we reach out immediately, even if it's a 50, 50, or it's a 70, 30, if we get out in front of it and say, hey, there's a, there's a 30% chance or there's a 20% chance that this might not work out the way we thought is a much easier conversation than saying, we heard about this yesterday and we're telling you today. And it just allows everybody to be reactive versus reactive. And so just you, you don't want them to be this knee-jerk reaction. You want them to be able to methodically think through it and say, all right, well, what do we need to do? What are our options Versus no options. If I call you today and say your ordinance shipped yesterday, so don't expect anything today, it doesn't give you any options. And but if I say, hey, your order may not ship today, we might want to start looking at plans C, B and C and D. That's a totally different conversation. No, and that, that absolutely makes sense. Setting expectations early. So appreciate that advice. We talked about your past and present experiences. So my next question is about the future. What goals do you have for the company? let's say in five years, in five years, <laughs> I think our goals always, first and foremost, that number one, we want to be here in five years and we want to be able to have a product that's desired in five years, but more so than that, I think we have definite revenue goals that we want to achieve in five years. And, uh, I think we want to continue to do that. And I think we want to continue to expand our manufacturing footprint here in North America uh, we have a good facility here based in Utah. We have a kind of an in-between upstart satellite facility that we've started in Mexico and that we're really excited about. And I just want to continue to see the good scaling growth of the business. And I just want to, to make sure that we continue to, to practice the values that got us here in five years. I think that's really important to me and really important to staff that uh, we continue to, to live those things. And I think if we for sure, just live those, then everything else seems to just fall in place. And you mentioned company values and something we didn't touch on, you know, how did you go about defining the company values and, you know, how do you ensure your company's living through those values? So I think the, the evolution of the value is really hard. It's, you know, it, I was fortunate enough to be able to have something, have someone walk me through it. And, and help me establish what those values are. Because I think first you have to figure out what your own values are. And then you have to say, of yeah. my personal values, how do I incorporate those into my business, into my professional values? And 
I was able to, to take some time. It didn't happen overnight. It was really, really hard to be totally honest with you, but we finished up, you know, with four values that were really important to me. And then uh, we translated those into, into kind of business language or business, uh, you know, vernaculars. And we made that kind of the, the cornerstone of our, our business moving forward. And, and once we really established that, that's when we went from an okay company and, and decent growth to uh, what I feel like is a great company with momentum growth. Fantastic. So coming to the final part of our podcast, looking at uh, technology and the future from a tech perspective, what do you wish to see? Or how do you wish to see technology evolve to make your business more efficient in the promo space? It's a tough one. Um, I think technology for me in the future is the systems themselves or the readers getting more intelligent. So we have various customers out there which have different ERP or platforms that they use for their own systems and run their own businesses. And those communications between theirs and ours, I think, where we'll see a lot of the evolution that uh, we'll be able to, to take data or we'll be able to take a file from them. We'll be able to scan it and find all the pertinent content information from that file. And then it will automatically drop into the corresponding fields within our own system. Um, we have thousands and thousands of customers out there. So, and, you know, some are on really simple platforms like a QuickBooks and some are on super, super complex Oracle platforms. And so for us to be able to take information from them and transcribe that into our system via where, you know, it's an AI product or it's a, some type of reader product, I think for us is going to be a big, big monumental move going forward. Uh, outside of that, I think that art service programs are getting smarter um, being able to do virtuals and virtual programs by yourself, being able to take your favorite image and being able to put it on a product and have it be dimensional, three-dimensional, that you can almost understand what it is by the, by the looks of it. You can manipulate it and look at it. Those technologies are really starting to evolve quickly, which I'm excited about. Brandon, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience experience and knowledge with both Stephen and I and our listeners. We wish you best of luck in your business and future ventures. Thanks again for joining us and let's keep in touch. Absolutely. It was great. Thanks for, thanks for the questions and the opportunity. A special thanks to our podcast guests this week. And once again, to our sponsor sphere partners for bringing this episode to life. If you enjoyed this episode, drop Sphercast a five-star review on iTunes and share this content with your network. For any relevant links or notes from this episode, check out our podcast website at www.sphereinc.com forward slash Sphercast. And always remember, when you think you can't, technology can. See you next time.